to read this passage of scripture as we go into beat out my vision. It says, when I was brutish and ignorant, I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night. Waking or Father, as we open your word this morning, we ask that you would open our hearts 
Again, asking to set aside all distractions that we might focus on what your Holy Spirit has for us today. We actually offer ourselves to, to receive, Lord, to, to be open to your Spirit in the sense of your word ministering to us. And again, to strengthen our walk, to strengthen our relationship with you, with each other, Lord, uh, that we might be a testimony to the community of Jesus Christ and his grace, his mercy, his salvation. Lord, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Get my, my eyes on here. Play a quick disappearing act. I need a water. <laughs> Thank you for your prayers this week. Most of you know I didn't quite make it to the service last Sunday. and uh, Pretty sick uh, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And I uh, really appreciate your prayer support. Feeling much, much better. And uh, glad that I could be back here this morning. Uh, we're in Romans chapter 12. Uh, we're going to be uh, moving again towards the uh, discussion of the gifts, of uh, the spiritual gifts that God has provided the church. I have a few things I'd like to review in reference to that. Uh, the scripture that we're looking at in Romans uh, is in chapter 12. And uh, I'm just picking up at uh, verse 6 through 8 for this morning. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. As we've gone over, uh, haven't been in the pulpit for a couple of weeks, but as we've gone over the, the last several weeks, uh, looking at the various aspects of the body of Christ, uh, wanting to remind you that the picture, and we've been singing about it this morning, we've been relating it to it in the sense of, of the voice of martyrs, martyrs in the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church coming up in November and the focus, that the body of Christ is, is a unified and I, I used the word a few weeks ago, organism. The body of Christ is a living organism filled with the Holy Spirit. Each individual is filled with the Holy Spirit, plus I believe a collective moving of the Spirit within the body as a whole. And so every one of us are related directly to all other believers in the world. That is the body of Christ. So when we speak of the body of Christ, when we speak of the church, uh, we're not just speaking about the church here or the church in Fortuna or the church in Humboldt County or the, you know, the, the, the church in the, in the United States, but when we speak of the church, generally speaking, in, first and foremost, it's the body of Christ, the universal body of Christ around the world. And yet within that framework, we have local fellowships, you know, uh, church groups, uh, that gather together as ours does. And so we look and, and God organized, we see through the Acts and, and, and through other of the epistles, 
God establishing churches and locations of people moving together, uh, elders being appointed for preaching the word and to teaching in every individual area. And so we see both the, the picture of the congregation, if you will, the fellowship that is part of the larger body of Christ. We traditionally use the term church, however, as, as it applies both locally and universally. So we don't normally say, oh, I'm going to fellowship on Sunday. We normally say, I'm going to church. I hope you're saying, I'm going to church, or I get to go to church, and not, I have to go to church. Um, and so this picture of the body of Christ, the church, has both an international impact, and as a result, we see ourselves involved in the global church, trying to come alongside missionaries and other Christian groups to minister to them, and it's interesting, there's been seasons in our culture and, uh, as we've seen the church grow and strengthen in numbers in other areas. There was a time in the 80s where uh, the, they, they were sending missionaries from third world countries to the United States because they were concerned about us, and uh, rightfully so. And so uh, this whole idea of, of the body of Christ interacting nationally, internationally, but also on a local basis. When we look at the body of Christ, the church on a local basis, we realize that God even does a very unique thing within the church itself, within the local fellowship itself. It brings together a group of people, all of them brought together by Christ. There isn't one of us in this room, and I just absolutely believe this with all my heart, today is a providential meeting. There's not one of us in this room that's here by accident today. And God has, has orchestrates to bring it together so that we can, as a body, of, uh, as a local body meeting together, that we can grow together to become one in Christ, both locally and universally in the church, completely you know, uh, internationally. And so I, I look at a scripture that has been probably, uh, well, you even see it on our logo, logo uh, the church sign uh, over the years, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 11 through 16, uh, where it says, uh, Paul uh, writing, he says, God gave the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up of the body of Christ. Right there is the, is the picture. The, the God has given specific gifts, if you will, and, and, and Paul spells them out in other places as gifts for apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry uh, and for the building up of the body of Christ as a whole until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed, uh, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by the every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, <clears throat> into him who is the head, referring to Christ, into Christ, whom for <clears throat> from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, 
makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The whole picture here being of, of just this idea of every part, every one of us being a part of what's going on in the body of Christ. It's not made up of, uh, of a few leaders who, and the rest of us participants in the sense of the distance. The, the desire was to see the whole body of Christ interacting, using gifts that God has given us to minister one to another, to encourage, build up, and, and, and come to this point of, of causing each of us to mature in Christ. This was so important to the Reformation movement. At the point in time that Luther and, and Calvin and others were, were, were coming into establishing uh, the Reformation movement and, 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 and the whole idea was to restore Christianity to the point where it was the priesthood of believers rather than a select few people holding the, 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 the Bible back and, and holding the truths of God to themselves and just sharing them with other people. They, the, the word was not in the people's own language. They was not able to hear. And when people started to, to, to want to put it into the, to the native language, some of those people were literally burned at the stake for doing that. It was so important to them. So the whole idea of what it is to be a Protestant, to be reformed, to be in the idea of the restoration movement is this idea of the priesthood of believers. All of us brought together by Christ to build up the body of Christ, each bringing something to the table, so to speak. And one of the things that we went over and established, I hope, was that every person who comes to Christ, first off, when you come to Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there in you. you, you you're never going to get more Holy Spirit than you got that day. Now, people will say, well, how, how, how do you mature then? Because what happens is, is that the more we grow, it's the more we yield to the Spirit within us. And so this idea of, of the indwelling the, 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 of the Holy Spirit in, in every believer, and in the process of that, Paul makes it clear, Peter makes it clear, scriptures that we had gone over before, uh, is that every person is given a gift through the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean that it's manifested immediately. It may be in a season, a time, at a point where it, it, it's called upon by the Holy Spirit to be inclusive in the body of Christ. But the bottom line is, is that all of us are to participate and bring our, our, our gift, if you will, to the table. So every one of us has a gift. And, I, and one of the things I wanted to go through and I, and a few weeks ago was that what the gift is not, if you'll recall, the gift is not the fruit of the Spirit, where we talk about love and peace and kindness and gentleness and forbearance and, 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 and self-control out of Galatians chapter 5. Those are character traits that all of us are called to put on, if you will, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our transformation, to change us, to make us Christ-like. Those, those are character traits. We're not talking about gifts. You can't say, I don't have the gift of patience. <laughs> uh, you, you know, I, I, I don't have the gift of gentleness. Or any, All of those things are called to, to all of us to, to move ahead in.
They're character traits of God to be in us through the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's part of the transformation, the sanctification process that the Holy Spirit is working in us while we are still caught in this flesh. And everyone is called to those. And it's not the same as a talent. A talent can be, be something that God will build on as a gift. It's a possibility, but it's not necessary. A talent is something that we, we have by uh, nature in some cases. Sometimes you even have people that are born, uh, I mean, it's amazing. Uh, mathematical skills, piano skills, uh, music talent, this type of thing. Um, but talent is generally something that it, anyone can have, believer, non-believer. You may have a great talent in music or art or writing, business. You guys go on over to many things. That's not the, the gifts that we're talking about. It's not the spiritual gifts we're talking about. Are they things that God can use within the body of Christ? Absolutely. If you have a talent and you become a Christian, what are you to do with that talent? Submit it to God. Bring it to the table on the altar and say, this is yours, Lord, in me. Use me as you will. So a talent can be actually built upon. In fact, at times, God may even supernaturally take your talent and, 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 and go further with it. I have the perfect example goes back to the Old Testament in uh, the 35 and 36 of Exodus, where uh, Oholiab and, and Beelzebub, I think is the way you pronounce him, two men who were uh, uh, craftsmen, and a whole bunch of others who were craftsmen as well, but these two specific men were singled out as craftsmen, meaning that they already had a talent to build, to, to, to fashion, to work. With, with building materials and, and, and metals and this type of thing. And it says that he gifted them beyond that to be able to comprehend and understand and do and to put together the things that God was asking for for his tabernacle. All of the gold working and the, and the, and the work that was going to be done. It says he, above and beyond their natural skills is what those verses refer to. And so God can take a talent but when we're talking about the spiritual gifts, what we're talking about specifically are a group of, of, of gifts that God gives to the church that are specifically from him, not something that you can go out and, 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 and learn, educate, or whatever, but that God supernaturally brings to you through his Holy Spirit. Uh, I quoted Ray Pritchard a, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, probably one of the simplest definitions.
using a lot more electricity today. I'm tired, you know. <laughs> Ray Pritchard, oh, I've already said that part. Um, as we offer ourselves, God chooses to empower us to use our gifts according to his purpose and according to his timing. And so uh, I, 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 those are all things that we had talked about over the last several weeks. Uh, I also brought out the, this picture that some like to, to wear their gifts like a badge or a nameplate or, or, you know, and I didn't say name tag, I said nameplate, uh, something to draw attention to themselves uh, as their identity, if you will. You know, oh, I have this gift. Uh, and and you, you realize that it's, uh, in fact, in the Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, it talks about getting carried away with identifying yourself with your gift rather than the purpose of the gift and God using the gift. And so we get carried away with this, even in the church, somewhat like the world does with our talents and, and our positions, if you will. I used hats to kind of describe what I was talking about. Uh, I wear several hats in my life. I am a husband, I am a father, I am an elder, I'm a teacher, uh, you know, I've had other careers other than being in the ministry, um, and so I have various hats that I have worn in my lifetime. And uh, it's interesting how this, this goes in the sense because people will say, um, what do you do? I'm not going to ask Phil because he'll just tell me as he pleases, uh, according, according to what his wife allows. Uh, but uh, but he uh, but there's a point where we say what what do you do? And what we're asking is how do you how do you make your living? What's your what's your label? Uh, I'm a police officer. I'm a fireman. I'm a doctor. I'm a, a, a pastor. I'm you know whatever. And we we pretty much we get those titles and they kind of stick with us, okay? And the church tends to do the same thing sometimes. We want to be careful with this uh, because each title, it's interesting, as I looked at these, especially husband, father, elder, teacher, uh, you know, each comes with expectations and responsibilities. And I, all of a sudden I realized, whose expectations? Mine? My expectations? Your expectations? Uh, you know, we even go as far as to come up with contracts and job descriptions and negotiations to try to figure out expectations and responsibilities, even in reference to the, how things are done in the church. And, and so uh, I realize the need to understand expectations and responsibilities because we all want to be on the same page as to what's going on around us in, a, in, a, in an organization, in the body of Christ, and the local fellowship, and it helps eliminate confusion. But I want to suggest to you where I, I kind of left off a couple of weeks ago that we must begin with God's word to get the foundation as to how things are to work. His church body is to work. And it starts, again, with each individual believer. What is God's basic expectation of you and me as an individual believer? And this is kind of where we were a couple of weeks ago. Do you recall? Anybody want to volunteer an answer? To be holy. We're called to be holy. 
being that I've already preached on that pretty much, I'm going to cut to the chase and the end of the sermon of that and just say, it's already done. I am already holy. My wife knows that that could sound like a conflict <laughs> of reality versus what I just said. If we base it strictly on observation. The reality is the only way we become holy is in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Once we accept Christ, once the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, all of the things that we've been talking about, we were inclusive into the body of Christ, we are now holy in the sense of as we stand in judgment before the throne of God. It's covered. It is finished in Christ. It's a done deal. That's where all of this has to always come back to and begin. In Christ, through Christ, you know, in God alone, in his word alone. My responsibility to that is that I take Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 seriously and actually act on them, which is to offer myself as a living sacrifice. I don't know how you do it. I'm not suggesting any kind of formula as to do it this way and therefore it will work. All I'm saying is do you on a regular basis in some way offer yourself to God as, a, as, as your, your living sacrifice, meaning your whole life, in a sense, all that you are and all that you're not, uh, and, and say, I offer it to you, Lord. Search me, cleanse me, reveal to me my inadequacies, my sins. Uh, confession of sin is the process of coming to the altar. is automatic. It should bring confession. And as we re rest in all of that, we realize this, we do this, that the desire and the goal is to be transformed. To be taken out of the way the world acts and the way the world looks at things and to see things the way God sees them. All of that said, I realized as I was going into this that we still are going to use labels, badges, name tags. I'm not opposed to that as long as we start at the same starting point in the sense of who Christ is, our Lord and Savior. He is the source of our salvation. Over the, the centuries, over the, even the decades, uh, and in some cases even in my lifetime, I've seen the splintering where we find smaller, what I, I, I try to find a nice way to couch this, smaller family groups of the body of Christ insisting on being off on their own for various reasons. Sometimes good reasons, meaning we want to be where the word of God is taught. Other times reasons that could be extremely petty. How many of you have heard of church splits over carpet? It has happened over colors. We break into smaller groups as far as Baptists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Methodists, non-denominational, uh, Reformed, Restored, Pentecostal, non-Pentecostal. And I, I, by the way, I just simply went to the yellow pages to deal with those. 
uh, you know, and, and the reason why I did it that way was just to show, you know, I thought, are, are, why do these labels have some value to them? And, and that's just so that I, when I go someplace, I can at least have a re reasonable expectation of what might be going on in their fellowship. Something that I might be comfortable with, not comfortable with, agree with, not agree with, this type of thing. And so we realize that we have all of these labels, and, but, but, and, and they're there to, to kind of define a little who we are. But man takes these things to extremes. We want to label everything and put everything into a specific camps. Uh, and and uh, while they can be beneficial, let me give you an example of beneficial of labels. Now, I, I'm, I'm cautious when I do this because I don't want to be known as someone who, who puts anything down to lift, Christ, you know, you don't, to lift Christ up. You don't have to put things down to lift Christ up. But there are some distinctions. There is a reason why, for instance, I am a Protestant. That's a label, if you will. It's an identity. It's a badge. And the reason is, is, well, I'll put it this way. Let's take three particular labels. Protestant, Catholic, um, Latter-day Saint. Okay? By the label, I can tell you, in general, how each one of those people look at the Word of God and they all look at it differently. The Protestant generally looks at the Word of God as the final authority on all matters. The Catholic looks at the Pope as the final authority on all matters. The, uh, the, the Latter-day Saints look at a Second Testament as the final authority. Uh, of Joseph, the, the, uh, in reference to Joseph Smith and his writings, and a president and a group of men who are the only ones who have, according to them, the Holy Spirit. When a Mormon comes door to door talking to you, they, they, they do not confess that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's something that the, 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 the head board has, but not them. So when I say that there's some, I look at these labels, we can glean something from them. There's some good that we come out of them. And it helps defines what group I'm in. And so I'll make this statement clearly, and I've always made this statement. I make no apologies for being a Protestant. I don't concede anything in reference to my Protestantism in reference to when I deal with other groups. I've been asked. At the Christian school, for instance, over, over the years from, from Catholics, can we please uh, take two things out of your statement of faith that we don't agree with and not, and not sign? You know, we're, we're at disagreement with that. The two things they wanted to take out of there was the final authority, the word of, the word of God, and the uh, saved by grace and grace alone. And their, their uh, pastor had told them that they couldn't sign that. They asked if we could change it, and I said no. Now, I know other schools that have conceded that. said, oh, shit, no, no problem. But I said no. I'm a, we are a Protestant school. This is what a Protestant is, and I'm not, there's no apologies. And I said, any different than if I went to St. Bernard's and asked you to change your doctrine? 
which is, they'll never, they, they, that's been attempted there, <laughs> and it doesn't happen there either. All I'm trying to say is, is that we have these identities that help us know who we are, but we can still get carried away. And, and the, all, of, all of this was to get to this point this morning. You notice the title of the, of, the, of the sermon, if you looked in the bullet, I think it says, Am I a Charismatic? You want a yes or a no, don't you? <laughs> um, isn't it interesting how a word can solicit an immediate picture or response from, a, from, a, from experience or your own understanding of things? And you work, the word charismatic, and the next word is what? Non-charismatic. I am or I am not this. And there's, there's a divisiveness in the body of Christ today over this, this term charismatic. Charismata. Charisma is the, the Greek word. And again, I'm not a Greek scholar, but for, thanks to Kittles and, and Theological Dictionary of the New Testament and other studies and resources, you can get these answers and, and research and study the, the, the words. And you realize there's something about this word that people seem to be missing. And we normally find ourselves in two camps with this word charismatic. We're, we're either pro and, 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 and say that we are, or we say that we're not, and we base it on a few spiritual gifts. Speaking or not speaking in tongues. The gift of miracles, especially focused on the idea of the gift of healing. And basically there's two camps. There's a group, one group that says, these gifts, the, these, soup, these particular gifts of healing, uh, miracles, prophecy, um, speaking in tongues are gone. And the other group saying, no, they're very much alive. Charismatic says they're very much alive. Non-charismatic says, no, they're gone. And it's interesting, they pivot on a verse that I shared with you a few weeks ago out of 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 13. And uh, quickly I'll... Uh, turn there just to, to read it again. Uh, well, if I get on the right page, it would help. Paul writes, love, verse 8 of chapter 13, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. <clears throat> but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And most people that quote this verse who are non-charismatic stop there. And if you stop right there, what's going to pass away? Tongues, prophecy, all these things that he's talking about. I'm going to suggest to you that you can be in the camp of, of non-charismatic, meaning those particular gifts. You don't think that they're valid for today, but this isn't the verse to use for it. 
I'll show you why. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I responded like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. You're thinking, oh, those are immature gifts or something like that. What he's saying is there's a point in time where we won't need those gifts anymore. We'll be mature. We won't need those gifts anymore. Now look closely at verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But when we're mature, when we don't need these gifts anymore, then we'll be seeing face to face. At what point do you think that happens? Christ returns? Yeah. You see, the, there's, a, there's a tendency to take these scriptures, take verses 9 and 10 and say the perfect is the New Testament, therefore when it comes we won't need those things. The New Testament still has not brought us face to face with Christ in the sense that Paul is talking about here. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. How many times do we say, I can't wait to ask and to know, <laughs> even as I have been fully known? So all I'm suggesting is, is that this, this verse is not the pivotal point for things is to, to use that these gifts have passed away. You may have, you know, there may be people that have good, solid reasons for believing it that way. I'm not going to get into that this morning or the other way around. The issue is, is that I want to focus on this word charisma. And the fact that it's been used, I think, inappropriately from both sides of the issue as a label that, that is, is, is incorrect as to the perceptions it brings about. When Paul uses the word charisma, he does not apply it to a few specific gifts. They're strictly the spiritual gifts. In Romans alone, Paul lists these gifts. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, generosity, leadership, and mercy. All of those are spiritual gifts. All of them are charismata or charisma. All of them are gifts, charis. That word is grace. The rest of it added together is a compound word, which means gifts of grace, basically. But spiritual gifts. All of those are spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians lists some more. I read some more out of, out of Ephesians. All of them are spiritual gifts. All of them are charisma or charismata. means that those who use the gifts must be what? If you're using a charismata, you must be a charismatic. <laughs> now, you might not want to agree with this, but I'm going to suggest to you that's a pretty sound, logical argument. The first thing that gets concerned about something like this is, oh, gosh, he's going Pentecostal on us. There, I've used another label, haven't I? All I'm trying to do is to help you and me together grow in God's word and to get everything we can from it, with it, and, and, and enjoy all that he has for us. And to make my understanding on, uh, of words and labels that the church throws around haphazardly uh, at times, 
I want to know what the words really mean. So that when I read it, I can understand. When I hear somebody preaching it, I can get a glimpse of what the Word of God says in reference to that. I've shared with you many times the, the context of the word resurrection. I don't think there's anybody in this room who will not agree with me in reference to the resurrection. It's the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. His ascension to heaven was bodily, physical ascension. Uh, the body, physical incarnation of Christ is still to in, 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 exists in heaven at the right hand of God. God incarnate still. We'll see him in the flesh. We'll see his scars. I'm, I'm, you know, that, yet I know of a pastor who had been preaching for 20-some years in the pulpit who believed that the resurrection, and it was a pastor in a, in, a, in, a, in a church in this community, who believed that the resurrection was strictly the resurrection of the teachings of Christ. Did not believe in a bodily resurrection, did not believe in a literal Bible, in a sense of interpretation, the Bible is the final authority, the word of God, spoken word of God. He didn't agree with that. I can't figure out to this day why he'd want to be in the pulpit. What's there to preach on? <laughs> well, he said the good things that Jesus taught. I guess I am a charismatic. based on what we have talked about this morning. Not based on some you know, denominational slant on the word, but based on what the word. I believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I'm a resurrectionist, if you will, in that context. And, and so uh, we're looking for those things that we understand, as we, especially as we go into looking at the gifts. All the gifts are spiritual gifts. All of them are charisma. And as we practice them, they make us a charismatic. Has nothing to do with speaking in tongues specifically. That is something that is an advent of, of social and cultural things that have happened, primarily in the United States initially. There's no, there's, there, there's no hint of this going back into the early church. <laughs> it's something that we've developed in man's adding to the description of what God's words mean. I have already spoken of this this morning, but this area that we're certainly in agreement around this morning is, the, is what we do at the Lord's table and what we come around together. And this I am sure of. I know the life of Christ. He came in bodily form, God in the flesh, incarnation. He died on the cross physically, poured out his blood. He was buried in a tomb. He was raised on the third day. He ascended to heaven physically, bodily, and sits at the right hand of God, and he's coming again. Those are the things we, we bring to focus at the table. And so... As we close, we'll close with, with one area where we can, if I probably raised questions, we can come back to agreement. This one thing we know to be true. And this is where our faith lies. It all rests in Christ alone. My salvation rests in Christ alone. His grace alone. His gift of faith 
alone. Understood through his word, the scriptures alone, all to the glory of God. I'd ask the ushers to come forward, pass out the communion, and we will share, hold it until we've all been served, and uh, we'll share together.
talking about you know as far as what Christ has done for us he's washed away our sin and we say Jesus thank you it's in his name his name alone I mean it, mm-hmm. it, it can't be done any other way no other name under heaven can do this the father the father's wrath completely satisfied that's how come I can say it's done I'm holy not because in the flesh I am but because God has seen it done he sees the end from the beginning. He knows it's accomplished, and it was accomplished when Jesus said it is finished. Once your enemy, Ephesians points out very clearly, we were all enemies of God, subject to his wrath, which is the consequences, the wages of sin, death. And then we jump over to Romans 6, 23. You know, all of sin, you know, uh, the wages of sin is death. It's a free gift. God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus, thank you. Paul writes in reference to the Lord's Supper, I received from the Lord that also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supping, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul finishes with this thought, for as often as you eat this bread and drink, my, drink, drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you stand as we close?